Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, today we're going to take a little break from our trip through Colossians. Don't worry, we'll be right back where we left off starting next week. But today, I'm excited for you to hear this message from Pastor Rich Velotis. Rich is a pastor in New York City and, uh, and has written a book called The Deeply Formed Life. He's a phenomenal speaker, and this message in particular is one that all of our staff recommended and wanted us to hear. Today, he's going to talk to us about how our lives can be transformed by the gift of God's holiness. And so I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles. We're going to have a great message today, and I'll see you at the end of the sermon. Listen in, and let's pray that God will speak to us through Pastor Rich Velotis. NYC, what a gift, what a gift to be here. My name is Rich Velotis. I'm the pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. NYC, is New York in the house? Is New Jersey in the house? Is Connecticut in the house? Amen, amen. What a gift it is to worship with you and sing with you. In 2019, my wife and I were, uh, we were in Orlando, Florida to watch Avengers Endgame. It, it was opening night and we were watching it. This wasn't planned, but we were watching it with about 200 high school students. And I got to tell you that that was the best movie-going experience of my life. There's nothing like watching an Avengers movie with teenagers who were screaming, crying, yelling at the screen and all that. It was fantastic. And I thought to myself, this is the best movie-going experience I've ever had in my life in Orlando, Florida with a group of teenagers. But all of that pales in comparison to worshiping with 10,000 teenagers lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Whenever I'm at a place for the first time, I tell a little bit of my story because I came to follow Jesus as a 19-year-old. And the way that my journey towards Jesus happened was quite unexpected. I did not grow up in the church or going to church. I grew up in a home that was quite indifferent to the things of Christian faith. But even though I did not go to church with my parents, my parents would send me to church with my grandparents who lived down the block from us in Brooklyn, a small Latino Pentecostal church. And I used to think that my parents were really invested in my spiritual development because they would send me to church almost every single Sunday with my grandparents. But it turns out, because this Latino church had three-hour services, that was good child care. 
And so they would say, go to that church, not the Catholic church with the one hour service. Go to the one with the three hour service because you can get a lot done in three hours. You could go grocery shopping, take a nap, watch a movie. And so I would go to this church, Arca de Salvación, Ark of Salvation. And it was there where I discovered that Jesus had to be Puerto Rican. They called him Jesus. They said, Todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. They, 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 they said everything in Spanish. I, and to this day, I believe Jesus has to be half Puerto Rican, at least half Puerto Rican. And so I would go to this church and get my initial conceptions of who God was. But by the time I was 12 years old, I wasn't really getting much out of the service. And I asked my parents if I could stop going to church. They said, yes, you can stop going to church. And it was like I was saved at that moment. Saved from the church. And so by 12 years old to 17, I didn't go to church. But at 17 years of age, I found myself back in church because I started dating a pastor's daughter. And that'll get you back in church real quick. Somebody say amen. The pastor said, the only way you can date my daughter is if you come to church. I said, amen. I'll be there, pastor. I'll be there. And so I would go to this church, learn more about who Jesus was, learn more about his saving love. And uh, two years into the relationship, the relationship came to an end. And I was so heartbroken. And I remember walking from Queens to Brooklyn as a heartbroken teenager. And when I got home, I was utterly surprised. Because the family that I grew up in, again, we did not go to church. But when I got back home, I noticed that my four younger siblings were at the church that I used to go to as a kid. Arca de Salvación, Ark of Salvation. And so I said, uh, where's Jason? Where's Laura? Where's Michelle? Where's Melissa? And my parents said, they're at this church just a couple of blocks down from us. Now, when I got home, my mother was cooking in the kitchen and my father was coming off of a hangover and watching the New York Jets play football. Not a good combination. And he was home just there. And so I thought to myself, maybe I can go to that church again. And so I walked two blocks down to go into that church. And as I walk in, they're having a revival service. There's about typically 30 people there. There's about 100 people at that church at that moment. And as they, as I walk into the church building, they're singing about the power of Jesus over demons. That demons have to flee at the name of Jesus. And so they're saying, demons have to flee. Right when I'm walking into the church, I'm thinking, I hope it's safe for me here. Uh, demons have to flee in the name of Jesus. And so I walk into the church, crowded church. And about 10 minutes later, my parents walk in after me, which was very surprising because they never went to church. And what made it even more strange was the way my father came into church. And my father, who's here right now with us in this building here, he says he came into church with sneakers and no socks and pajama pants and a tank top and a Mets jacket and a Mets hat. Very strange. And I said, Dad, why would you come to church looking like that? And he said, the strangest thing happened. When you left the house, I heard a voice. I don't know if it was audible or inaudible, but the voice said, follow him. And I don't know if that meant follow Rich or follow Jesus, but because Rich was going to church to see Jesus, I put two and two together and I decided to follow him. And so he gets to the church and this Puerto Rican preacher with alligator shoes and a matching alligator belt, he had it going on. He starts preaching from the book of Ezekiel chapter 37 about a valley of dry bones that God can bring life 
to those who are desolate and dry and fractured. You see that valley of dry bones in the book of Ezekiel 37 were once the people of God who were once a living army. But because of rebellion, because of sin, they found themselves in exile, broken, fractured, dry. In need of the breath of God. And God speaks to the prophet and says, can these bones live? And he says, only you know, Lord. And so God tells the prophet to prophesy to these bones. And I came here to prophesy over you today. That you can breathe. That you can live. And 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 Ezekiel prophesies over those bones. And those bones come to life. And that preacher got up and said, some of you are dry and desolate. And in need of the breath of God. Who wants the breath of God, he asked. And so one by one, family members start responding to this invitation to receive new life in Jesus Christ. My brother responds and my sister responds and my sister responds, my other sister responds, my mother responds, my father responds. I respond, the cousin responded, another cousin responded, an aunt responded, an uncle responded, another cousin responded, another cousin responded. <laughs> uncle responded. On that one night, 15 family members came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God was so powerful in that place. If my dog was there, my dog would say, can I get, can I follow Jesus as well? And I had a dog, his name was Milo, he was a Chihuahua, he had many demons in him. I mean, many demons in him, as all chihuahuas do. He would have said, breathe on me, Lord. Oh, breathe on me. And so after that encounter with the living God, I see my grandfather down the block. And I sit next to him in his bed, a holy man of God. And I said, Grandpa, something happened. And he said, you had an encounter with the living Jesus. But that encounter now needs to be sustained. That encounter that you had needs a life of formation. That encounter that you had needs to be cultivated now. And for eight months, he started teaching me about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to walk in the way of holiness. And that's what I want to talk about, holiness. In Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, we have Jesus' words. To religious leaders in his day, Matthew, Mark 7, it says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus goes, would go on to say some things, and then in verse 14 really summarizes it. He says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Jesus, in this passage, is talking about many things. But you can encapsulate what he's getting at in one word, and that is holiness. Holiness. And holiness might be one of the most misunderstood words in the church. 
For some people, holiness is absolutely unattainable because when we think about someone who's holy, we think about someone like Mother Teresa. We think about someone who memorizes the Bible. We think about someone who goes to church all the time. Someone who is like uh, about volunteering in all kinds of ways. You go, that is a holy person. Therefore, it is unattainable. For others of us, we think that holy holiness might not necessarily be unattainable, but it's uninspiring. That no one really gets excited, especially in our culture, about being holy. As a matter of fact, that word holy has turned off a lot of people because of the ways that it has been used to marginalize and to judge. And yet the scriptures talk about the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29 talks about worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. To be holy is to be set apart. To be holy is to be set apart for God. It's to recognize that although we live in the world, we do not belong to the world. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. And this is what Jesus is trying to help his followers understand. In our text, the Pharisees came up to Jesus because they noticed that Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands ceremonially before they had a meal. And this begs the question, why on earth are they concerned about his disciples' table manners? And when you know a little bit about the context and the culture of that day, we begin to see that washing of the hands was a big ceremonial thing within that culture. Because it signified who was clean And who was unclean. And in the context in which they understood that they were in the very presence of God before eating a meal. Not to wash your hands signified that you were unclean. That was not a problem. Listen, if you are meeting with the living God, it's a good thing to recognize. I need to come prepared. I need to come clean. Listen, if you have a job interview, if you're going on a first date, what do you do? I hope you get clean. I pray you get clean. You wash your hands, you brush your teeth, you, 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 fight, you, you get rid of the uncleanness for that moment. So far, so good. However, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, did not just emphasize having clean hands. They created an environment of judgmentalism for those who did not do the same. You see, they put great emphasis on having clean hands, but not having clean hearts. They wanted sanitized hands, but without having sanctified hearts. And so Jesus begins to speak to these religious leaders. And what Jesus essentially does in this text is he lets us know that there are two ways of understanding holiness. Two ways of what it means to be set apart. The Pharisees way, the religious leaders of the day, and the way of Jesus. For the religious leaders of the day, they understood holiness as something that was outside in. They placed emphasis on all of the externals to the extent that they eliminated the internal. And in fact, what began to happen is the Pharisees would have a list of all the things that you could do and could not do. And they lived their lives not according to necessarily love of God, but especially according to the list. And so if they had their list and they lived according to it, they thought they were just fine. And if someone did not live according to their list, that person was unclean. And every generation since that point has had a list. A list that that makes you holy or a list that makes you unholy. In all of our churches, we have particular lists 
of what music you can listen to and music you better not listen to. Of what you can go to, of, of the places you can go, the people you can hang out with. When I became a follower of Jesus, I met with a Pentecostal brother who said to me that Christians cannot go to movies. And I don't know if he was joking or he was serious at the time. And I said, but why not, brother? And he said, because if Jesus comes, he can't see you. The only holy people can go to heaven, he said. And so he had an outside-in understanding of what holiness is. But this is what happens when you have an outside-in understanding of holiness. What it breeds is a superiority complex. That you start thinking and I start thinking we are better than other people. Because we live according to a list and they don't. And whoever determines the list determines holiness. When you live according to a list, beyond it just being superiority complex, you live in self-deception. Because how many of us know that you can live according to a list and have your heart far from God? You can sing all the songs and have your heart far from God. You can volunteer all the hours and have your heart far from God. You can actually do all the right things with all the wrong spirits. And so holiness on the outside in leads to great self-deception. But beyond that, it leads to a lack of security and the love of God. Because the love of God now becomes contingent upon what you do and what you don't do. And so we live because of this list in a very up and down spirituality. You read your Bible? He loves me. Can't find your Bible? He loves me not. Go to church? He loves me. Missing church? He loves me not. Praying, he loves me. You can't get time to pray, he loves me not. It's an up and down understanding of what holiness is, and this is destructive to the soul. And Jesus understood this, he understands this. And he offers a different way of understanding holiness. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Jesus begins to emphasize that true transformation... True holiness emerges deep beneath the surface. The religious leaders focus on the externals. Jesus focuses on the internal. The religious leaders focus on their hands. Jesus focuses on their heart. The goal of holiness is that it so impacts our heart that it spills over into our hands. But if you only focus on what's happening on the outside... We will find ourselves missing the kind of holiness that Jesus hopes for us on the inside. And so holiness is to happen. It's the work of the heart. It's to be set apart for Jesus. And what I want to do for the rest of my time, and then we're going to sing and worship together, is I want to highlight a few ways that you know you're on the journey towards an inside-out type of holiness. When you are recognizing holiness from the inside-out, you build your identity around God. Who are the ones who are holy? Who are the ones who are moving towards holiness? It, are, it is those people who build their identity around the living God. I remember going to a retreat. And as I went to this retreat, which different church traditions were a part of, as I walked in, there was a basin of water that people would just typically, in many liturgical contexts, take the dab of water and put, put the sign of the cross on their forehead and then come into worship. And on the way out, they would do the same, put the, the dab of water and then 
the, the sign of the cross in their forehead and they would go out. And I asked one of the religious uh, the leaders of that retreat, I said, why do you put the, the water on your forehead going in and going out? And he said something that has just stayed with me for many years. He said, the water is a symbol and a reminder of your baptism. And your baptism reminds you that you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong. Your identity, who you are, you belong to Jesus Christ. And yet that's not how we often live. We often live basing our identity on what we have. I am what I have. I am what I accomplish. I am, I am what people say or think about me. I am who likes me. I, my identity is rooted in an experience of God. And all of these things fall short. As a matter of fact, and I want to offer a, a word of encouragement and warning to all of us. Because a space like this is holy. A space like this is sacred. A space like this is wonderful. But if you build your identity upon an experience of God, you're going to miss the living God. Which is why a good question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I worship God or do I worship my experience of God? How do you know you're worshiping, your, worshiping the living God? When the experience is not there, you keep showing up. When you don't feel good, you keep praying. When you're getting nothing out of the Bible, you're still opening it up. That's when you know you're worshiping not your experience of God, you're worshiping the living God. And my hope for us is that we would get a profound revelation that our identity is rooted in the love of God. This is why I love the story of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water and, and, the, and the voice of the Father speaks. The, the Spirit of God descends on him and the voice of the Father says, this is my son. In whom I am well pleased. And right after Jesus is baptized, he goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. And the devil says, if you are the son of God, questioning his identity, turn this stone into bread. Jump from the top of the temple and an angels will catch you. Bow at me and you'll have all the power of the world. What was the devil tempting him to? To being relevant, to being spectacular, to being powerful. And every time Jesus said, no, 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 my identity is not rooted in what I can do. My identity is rooted in the love of God. I love that the father says, this is my son in whom I love and him I'm well pleased before he raised the dead. Before he multiplied bread and fish. Before he opened up blind eyes. Before he made the deaf hear. Before he did all that, the father says, this is my son. In whom I am well pleased. And our identity is not built on what we do. Our identity is rooted in the love of God. How, who are the ones who are on their way towards holiness? Those who find their identity in the love of God. Secondly, how do you know you're on the road to holiness? How do you know you're nurturing holiness in your own life? Well, Jesus lets us know in this passage that we take the time to look at our interior world. Here's what I know to be true about many Christians. We have two temptations before us. We can use God to run from God. Or we can use God to run from ourselves. It's very easy to use God to run from God and to use God to run from ourselves. Where we're not really honest about what's happening on the service and we dress it up with all kinds of spiritual language. How you doing? Bless! 
Not stressed, well-dressed. We have rhymes for this stuff. And it's very easy to pay attention to what's happening on the externals, but not looking at what's happening deep beneath the surface. And what Jesus says is, if you want transformation, if you're going to move towards holiness, we have to look at what's happening beneath the surface. And yet, to do that is so very hard. Whenever I'm watching television, there's some movies that come on, and whenever they come on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it. When Lord of the Rings comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it. When Shawshank Redemption comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it. When Hitch comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it. And there's another movie that I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it and it's Titanic. It's Titanic. Can I, it's Titanic. Titanic, it's the first movie to hit the billion dollar mark. When it came out, I was working at Sony Theaters in Manhattan, got all my friends in for free. I don't think I was supposed to do that. All the popcorn, I don't think I was supposed to do that. But when I watch Titanic, it comes on on TNT, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it because it is a metaphor for the spiritual life. That on the upper decks of the Titanic, it's wonderful, opulent, celebration, joy. But after a couple of days, the Titanic hits an iceberg, and what we find are the tails of two different decks, two different ships. On the upper deck, there's beauty, there's, it's fantastic, it's joy, and on the, below, on the lower deck of the ship, it's utter chaos. And what begins to happen is, as the movie goes on, the issues of the lower deck rise and rise and rise, so that by the end of the movie, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie... Uh, it capsizes. I'm, I, I'm sorry. It capsizes. Darth Vader is Luke's father as well. I'm sorry. Um, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. I just want to let you know. I, I, I apologize. And so... When I watch that movie, I think about our interior lives, that many of us live on the upper deck of our, of our ship, and there's lots of stuff happening beneath the surface of our lives. And it's easy for us not to go to the lower decks to really identify the fears, the idols, the strongholds, the things that are keeping us from Jesus Christ. And what Jesus invites us to is to have a subterranean kind of life with God, one that goes beneath the surface. And here's my hope for all of us. My hope for all of us is that we recognize that holiness is not simply about doing the right things and saying the right things, but holiness is about venturing into our own hearts, looking deep beneath the surface. Why? Not just so that we can navel gaze and grow in self-awareness. All of this, thirdly, is for the sake of love. Holiness, in your Nazarene tradition, the essence of holiness is about love. This is your tradition. The essence of holiness is not simply doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. The essence, who are the most holy? For Jesus, the most holy are those who love well. Those are the most holy. And that's what Jesus talks about here. He starts talking about compassion and justice. And what I'm so excited about this generation is you're making that connection in this generation. 
that you're seeing the connection between life with God and compassion and justice and mercy. That is the kind of holiness that this world is longing for. That is the kind of holiness that will heal the world. Not a holiness that focuses on the externals. The holiness that allows God to transform our hearts so that we can overflow into love for others. And to that extent, we recognize that holiness is not something that we achieve. Holiness is something we receive. Holiness is an act of God's grace. This is why I love 1 Corinthians uh, 1-2, which says these words. It says, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Holiness is not something we achieve. Holiness is something we receive. As one theologian said, if you seek holiness, you're not going to find it. But if you seek Jesus, you will find holiness. And that's what we are invited into, friends. We are made holy by the love of Jesus Christ. We are made holy by the saving power of Jesus Christ. But that holiness is to be nurtured. And how is it nurtured? By dwelling and being and aligning our lives with God. This is what Jesus says in John 15 when he says, Abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That we are invited to dwell in God. And when I think about this idea of dwelling with God, I think about something that happens in our home. Just about every morning. Every morning, I make my wife Rosie, who's here in the front row here, I make my wife Rosie a cup of tea almost every single morning. Amen. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Now, I've discovered this along the way that there are, we're going to get deep here, there are two ways of making tea. At least two ways of making tea. The first way of making tea is to be a dipper. Where you take the tea bag and you dip in and you dip out and you dip in and you dip out. And when the tea is to your liking, if you want to get really sophisticated with it, you you wrap the tea bag around the spoon, you press down, you discard, you drink your tea. And when I think about that metaphor, I think about our spiritual lives, that it's easy to have a relationship with God where we're dipping in and we're dipping out. We dip in church, we dip out of church. We dip in the Bible, we dip out of the Bible. We dip in prayer, we dip out of prayer. That's one way of making tea, and that's one way of relating to God. But do you know there's another way of making tea? That you don't have to be a dipper. You can let the tea bag just dwell there. And right before your very eyes. The composition of the water begins to change. You, you know, when you're, when you're working the dip in and dipping out, you're working your shoulder. You know what I'm saying? But when you allow just the tea back to sit there, transformation happens right before your very eyes. And it reminds me of what Dallas Willard said about grace. What is the grace of God? Grace is God doing in you and for you and through you what you can't do for yourself. And that comes as we are dwelling with God. One day I was in a neighborhood in Queens and I was having uh, breakfast with a friend and he was dipping in and dipping out and dipping in and dipping out. And I said, brother, why don't you just let the tea bag dwell there? 
And he said, because if I let the tea bag just dwell there, the tea is going to get too strong. And I said, my, my, my. He said, what happened? I said, you're giving me preaching material, brother. Because that's what happens when you dwell with God. The presence of God gets strong. And you find yourself doing stuff that you could not do in your own strength. You find yourself forgiving when you used to be resentful. You find yourself courageous when you used to be afraid. You find yourself loving when you used to have hate in your heart. Something happens when you allow yourself to dwell with the living God. This is why David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, in this will I be confident. And then David says it. One thing, one thing, one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies, round about me. Therefore, shall I offer praises in his tabernacle of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. To the Lord. But David said one thing. I just want one thing. One desire I have. And that is to dwell. With the living God. To behold. The beauty of the living God. How. Does holiness come. Not by greater effort by us. But by us resting. And dwelling. With the living God. Amen. Amen. I wonder today as we close. Where have you been putting your identity? I wonder today. Have you been avoiding yourself. In the name of God. Getting involved in all kinds of ministry stuff. And God's stuff, but not allowing God to speak to the very deep areas of your soul. Is God working in you for the sake of love? Because that's where holiness is found. Rooting our identity in the love of God. Going deep beneath the surface so that we may overflow in love for the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love which is better than life. Thank you for the ways that you are pouring out grace on us right this very moment. Lord, may we get a revelation deep in our souls that holiness is not something that we achieve. It's something that we receive from your hand. You have set this generation apart. To do your will. To overflow with love to this world that's broken and longing for the healing of God. And so, Lord, even as we worship tonight and as we sing and behold your beauty, may you do something in us that we can't do for ourselves. And for all these things, we pray this 
in the holy name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Wow. What a powerful message. Friends, today are we, as followers of Jesus, are we just dipping in and dipping out? Or are we leaving the tea bag in the water so that God's grace and love can grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in us? If today you were feeling convicted by this message, like, oh, I am just in and out, dipping in and out, and I want to go all in with God. The good news is you can today, because of what Jesus has done, you can begin the life of abiding in Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. And if you want to live abiding in Jesus, you pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, you have made a way for me. You love me and nothing will shake your desire for my life that I and you would live as one together. So now, I want to confess to you that I've been living a life in and out of your presence. And today, I need the gift of being able to abide in you. Help me, Lord Jesus, to hear your voice expressing your love for me. Give me the Holy Spirit that I might live in your strength and your power. Teach me day by day so that your love will transform me from the inside all the way out. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, do me a favor and send me an email this week. I want to celebrate with you. I want to encourage you. I want to put resources in your hand if that would be helpful for you. But why don't you just receive this final blessing, the benediction for today's service. And now, may you go in the strength of his holy love. May it transform you from the inside out, and may you learn to share that love with those that God puts in your path. I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Be safe out there. Don't do too much shoveling of snow, and we'll see you next week, God willing. Have a great, great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.